Okay, so hello, I am recording live from my house. <laughs> so if my daughter comes in and makes an appearance or a cameo, you understand what what's going on. Um, so first of all, I want us to contextualize Asada a bit. You all have asked great questions. And so what I'll do is in the next segment, I'll answer the questions. If I don't get to your question, then I will answer it on Blackboard. Um, but I wanted to answer the bulk of them here. Um, first of all, I want us to, I hope that you've watched the videos that I put up, the video um, that I put up for you all to watch on Blackboard. It contextualizes Asada Shakur's. The last episode I was talking about more about her um, book, right? Her her bio autobiography. This time, I'm, I want us to kind of contextualize it a bit. The thing about Asada Shakur is she's still very much a wanted woman, right? If you've watched the videos, you know that in 2016, Governor Christie of New Jersey um, put out a call, right, where, where he wanted her to be extradited back to the United States, right? Um, she's maybe, I want to say, maybe like in her 70s now, but wanted her to be uh, extradited back to the United States. So she is a very polarizing figure. She's still um, someone that people feel, you know, is split down the middle, right? You either are supportive of her or you are against her right in that kind of way but one thing the videos should teach you is that she would be considered a political prisoner right and it, it would be one of these people who was challenging the way America runs challenging the concepts that we hold to just be common sense right challenging this idea that um, black people should be treated like human beings right and willing to die for that right um, willing to do whatever but also she was uh, surveilled right the Black Panther Party itself was surveilled Black Liberation Army um, was surveilled and many many of of their members um, ended up dying, uh, not dying, but were murdered, right? Um, um, were murdered and are became political prisoners. There are there are other Black Panther uh, members or Black Liberation uh, members who are in in um, who live in different countries, right? Who are living abroad, who cannot come home, um, who face isolation because they cannot come home. Because if they do come home, there's a bounty on their head. So, so, so I, I know sometimes we romanticize the '60s, the '70s, the Black Power era, but it was. But there are still people who are paying for what they did in the '60s, in the '70s, right? Who are living. Um, away from their family right um away from their their comrades in this kind of way so I, I want you to hopefully watch those videos and that will contextualize it and then the next one we can talk a lot about some of your questions so let's just dig right in okay so we will try and get through this right uh, a lot of you ask questions about Asada Shakur spelling her name, like using a lowercase i and what that meant, right? Why did she write her story this way? The important thing is Asada Shakur is thinking about community. She's thinking about communal participation. She's thinking about this question of, you know, how can I, how can I exist without my community? Which is to say that Asada Shakur does not do any of this alone. 
she even when she escapes she escapes because black liberation army members of the black liberation army have hatched a plan for months they've been planning about how to how to free her from prison so she doesn't she doesn't like dig her way out of prison right i think that's like shawshank she doesn't dig her her way out of prison you know people hatch a plan to save her right to to allow her to escape she is thinking about the radical black tradition of resistance of always saying no i'm gonna hold america accountable i'm gonna hold america accountable for living up to its ideals which it frequently does not right it says land of the free home of the brave but this is only for a select few America, she she's she's thinking of America as an oligarchy, right? She's saying it's only that's only true for a select few. You can think about this in terms of what's going on now in the news, this crisis that we have. You see multiple celebrities coming out and saying that they've, you know, tested positive for the uh, coronavirus, but you 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 see regular people who are sick saying, you know, I'm having such trouble, you know, getting tested. I'm being turned away at the doctor's at the ER because I don't have insurance. Right. So what this what this virus, what this pandemic is magnifying is magnifying the way that America consistently mistreats its poorer citizens, me, you, the regular everyday person. Right. Um, but you're seeing that people who have access, who have means, who have money, who have status, are actually being able to be tested, right, in this kind of uh, pandemic that is occurring. So uh, Asada Shakur is connected to the community. Bell Hooks is a black feminist thinker. She's another one who, her name always appears in lowercase. It's all, it should be always lowercase, right? Because she wants to de-emphasize herself she wants to take the focus off herself. She wants to take the focus off her ego and make you focus not only on her writing, but also this idea that she's writing within a, a tradition, right? There, sometimes we have a, a, a tendency to tokenize, in particular, black people, people of color, right? To make them that single snowflake, right? She's writing in community with others. She's continuing a tradition, carrying the tradition forward. Asada Shakur is doing the same thing, right? That's when she. That's why when she does to my people, right? She's talking to black people. She's giving, she's rallying them together, right? She's saying to them, I know what you've been through because I have experienced it because my experience is representative of the way that black people, disenfranchised people, poor people are treated, right? So she's she's rallying them, but also saying, I understand. It's, it's an expression of empathy, really. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a literary way of, of showing empathy with your community, right? So, so, and some of you also asked about court with a K, the, America with a K. She's absolutely referencing the KKK, and she's absolutely saying that America, despite thinking that this is an ugly part of its past, is still dabbling in the same racism that it dabbled in during uh, the the antebellum period, during the Jim Crow South, right? She's still saying that America is profoundly racist. And in fact, she describes her own um, her own experience through the courts as a kind of as a kind of legal lynching because many times if you're paying attention Asada Shakur is actually 
acquitted multiple times. <laughs> like jurors, most times return an acquittal or there's a mistrial, but the state continues to try her, even though there's no evidence, even though there's a, they continue to try her. So she's essentially saying, this is a kangaroo court. This is crazy, right? Like, like although America is saying land of the free, home of the brave, lady justice is blind. Asada Shakur is saying, no, that's not true, right? Um, only, it, it only, it only, does that with certain people. Certain people get off. Certain people um, are allowed to have access to the to the best legal um, lawyers out there, right? Um, so you can think about that as a kind of yes, as a kind of connection between the KKK, which the KKK we tend to romanticize it as like you know it was just some you know some swashbuckling Southerners who were ignorant who just. No, the KKK was made up of lawyers, <laughs> doctors, congressmen, right? Um, so she said wardens, prison wardens. So she's saying at the end of the day, the KKK is very much alive in the legal system. Absolutely. So you all were right to make those links. So keeping with this idea of community, keeping with this idea of her wanting to be in community with her people, which is substantial because it is the very thing that frees her, right? Because the Black Liberation Army, the members free her. Um, they, they hatch a whole plan and it's successful. You can think about this in terms of, I'm not going to ruin the movie for you, but think about this in terms of Queen and Slip. A lot of people were saying, you know, I wish they would have went to Cuba, you know, but, but there's, Asada was only able to eventually abscond to Cuba because she had a whole network, an underground network of people who relied on her, who believed in her and vice versa, right? So if we're thinking about poetry, the poetry absolutely connects her, is, is her attempt to connect with other black people, people of color, oppressed people who are reading this, oppressed people all over the world, all over the world. Yes, it is for her to connect with them, for her to say that I understand what you're going through, right? And here is what I've also been through and that we're linked in this kind of oppression that we faced. And so some of you asked this question about her, her love of books, her writing, her ability to write about this very traumatic time in her life. Yes, she's trying to say, you know, although I went through this very traumatic time, I have to be a recorder of history because if I don't record my own history, someone else will record it for me and they will lie, right? So this is not, yes, writing can be something that you love and something that's, you know, just makes you feel good, but writing can also be something that changes the reality, your reality, right? That changes the world around you. Because if you're watching the videos that I asked you all to watch, you'll understand that Asada Shakur there, I mean, it's, it was 2016, Governor Christie of New Jersey was asking for her to be extradited to America, right? So, so there's still a bounty on her head. She's still very much a wanted woman, right? But there is, so there's this narrative, this kind of, 
this kind of mainstream narrative that says she's the most dangerous person and she's still over in Cuba trying to like attack America, right? Um, despite the fact that, like I said, there were there were never her gun print, her fingerprints weren't on the gun. She was injured. There's no way she could have shot the gun. Ballistics prove that she's still seen and she's maybe like 70 now, I want to say 60, um, 60 maybe. She still is very much under surveillance. She still is very much being surveilled, right? And seen as this terrorist, really. She's seen as like one of the most dangerous, I think she's on the top 10 most wanted list, right? So yes, she wants you to think about despite these kinds of pressures, stressors that she faces, oppression essentially, she nonetheless writes. Asada has actually produced a lot of writing and a lot of speeches. If you go on YouTube, you can see people interviewing her and talking to her in spite of all of this. So that's also connected to survival. Um, I want you to read the poetry by one of our students, uh, one of my students, Amelicia, where she says somewhere Asada is, is still writing, right? This idea that writing is an act of survival, particularly for oppressed people, right? Because you're recording your history, you're challenging the mainstream dominant ideology, right? And that is what Asada Shakur is doing. I had a friend, Abagunde, who was a poet, right? Who, who on her Facebook shared a, a, a very beautiful message, but she said writing is not a luxury, right? Because she sees writing as a as a, rec a record of history right and if you're only letting certain people write your history the very if you're gonna let the people that are oppressing you write your history then they're gonna have dominion over you to say whatever it is that they want to say about you right so yes she is thinking about this kind of reading and writing as a as an act of resistance absolutely um and then we definitely want to think about her family life. Some of you had questions about her family life. Some of you asked the question about her family not wanting her to play with the alley rat children. This is absolutely a kind of politics of respectability. Her grandparents are from a, 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 a generation, you know, they're from a generation past, so they're a bit more, you know, classes, but they also have a bit more, right? So they look down on black families who don't. This is why Asada, when she goes out into the world and she interacts with other girls and boys, and then she goes to college, this is why she has a really naive understanding of America, because she's been looking at it from her perspective, where her family, although they face racism, like they have, they own um, a business, right? They own land on the beach, so they're able to somewhat do really well for themselves, and they're able to command a kind of respect, even from white people. So for Asada, she has a very naive understanding of America, right? Which is to say that Asada Shakur does not wake up or is not born saying, oh my God, you know, I'm so, I'm so black and proud. She has to learn it, right? She has to learn the truth about America and the truth about her own black identity, right? So sometimes people do this thing where it's like, you know, where she was, Asada was always, you know, no, it happens gradually as she becomes more radicalized, as she interacts with more people who have had less than she is. She realizes that her family is somewhat, um, they're, they're, they're somewhat of an outlier and that more people are struggling 
right in the black community than they are rising than they are actually uh, being able to own businesses to to cultivate property things like that right so yes and in some ways asada shakur's rebellion is connected to this kind of very strict kind of classist politics of respectability because when she goes out into the world she becomes somewhat radicalized and her family is like whoa you know what's going on here right but you can think about this in terms of this kind of bougie elite right you can think about this in terms of when uh, Martin Luther King was you know giving his speeches there were not many people that black and I'm talking about black people black people that everybody wasn't happy with Martin Luther King right everybody wasn't happy with the Black Panther Party the Black Liberation Army they saw some of these people as troublemakers right so you can think about that in terms of yes a generational difference but also a kind of politics of respectability that her family is operating from in a kind of anti-black ideal sentiment, right? And we also see this about, some of you asked about colorism, right? Avoiding uh, the water, because you don't want your hair to go bad or you don't want the sun to catch you because you don't want to get too dark, um, right? So this is very much alive today right um very much a, a problem in the black community in our in our black communities a feature right of white supremacy because uh during slavery right um oftentimes there were these racist narratives that said that operated and said that well you know um in fact in places like louisiana they had systems where you know a a, a white man could Mm, unofficially marry a a mixed race woman a black woman but a very fair-skinned woman right placage is what it was called so they weren't they weren't legally married but he essentially it was a form of of concu like a concubine he could buy her home and her kids could stay there and she sometimes could be treated better than white women but this idea was somewhat she was somewhat privileged because of her connection to whiteness. This idea that a mixed race slave or someone who had white in them was better than a, in looks in terms of beauty was more acceptable um, than a darker skin or, or, you know, what they would call full-blooded uh, African. So it, 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 it comes about during that time, right? But it's very much alive today, right? And so how we can combat that Right. I mean, think about Asada Shakur, who, you know, she goes to the beach. She has, you know, a great time. How we can think about combating that is to call it out, to be honest about it. There's much there's a lot of writing on it. Right. There's a lot of ways in which um, darker skin is connected to a kind of hypersexual masculinity. You can think about this and who we consider to be um, in within black communities. If a man is darker, he will get some type of. Um, he will get some type of cr criticism, but in some ways, you know, I'm thinking of Edris Elba, this idea that darker skin is, is masculine, right? So it can be sexy, but on, on women, it is a negative, right? So we can think about this in terms of calling it out. We can think about this in terms of not replicate or duplicating these structures because they're really just structures of power, right? They're structures of power. They, they're structures that say, well, because you look this way, and you, your proximity to whiteness makes you more desirable or it makes you more um, palatable. 
right? We can think about this in terms of calling it out, letting it be known, not letting, if someone makes a, hey, <laughs> if someone makes a comment, we call it out. And not to say, you know, you go off, but you more so call it out in terms of there's literature, there's there's um, literature on the subject that they can read. There's also uh, movies that address this. But if you're watching, if you're watching uh, conversations, particularly on Twitter and things like this, people are very vocal about calling it out. People have been vocal about the show Blackish, right? How it 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 does some of those stereotypes, plays into some of those stereotypes. Um, and I mean, people are trying to address it. That's the good news, right? You have people who are absolutely trying to address uh, colorism and how it impacts uh, black communities. But yes, colorism, racism, white supremacy, um, all tethered together, uh, uh, sexism, all tethered together, right? Um, so let's see what I'm, um, what I'm going through. I wanted to talk about this question of, oh yes, this also connects to uh, how Asada Shakur is seen. Somebody said, why do they describe her as um, tougher and scarier than, than she really is, right? And this is absolutely true. Um, she's described as burly. Um, yes, essentially they're masculinizing her. They're making her this big, bad militant. They're saying she's this big, bad militant, right? And like you said, she's actually very um, petite and it's somewhat of a small woman, right? Um, and so, yes, you can think about how bigger was treated. You can think about this kind of rhetoric of racism. Uh, important enough, we're talking about colorism. Think about, well, you all are very young, but when O.J. Simpson was arrested for murdering um, Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman, he was arrested and they had his mugshot and what time did with his mugshot is they darkened his mugshot right so 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 the the and i say that to say that guilty being guilty right is typically linked to darker skin so to be guilty to be think of this saying that maybe i don't know if people around you say it but and this is another thing of calling out colorism because the thing about colorism and the thing about like how these things work is they're very they're just little comments right that are said and sometimes you don't even think much about them but there's a saying you know she's she's uh black as sin or he's black as sin right this this linkage between sin and black Right? So the darker you are, the closer you are to sin, the closer you are to crime. In fact, there are reports that say the darker you are, the longer your prison sentence, the more likely you are to be convicted. Right. So when Times ma makes that cover of O.J. Simpson darker, they're absolutely saying he's guilty. Even and this is even before he gets tried, obviously, right before the facts come out. Right. So. So, yes. So you're absolutely right to pick up on that. I also wanted to discuss maybe one last thing and then the stuff that I did not um, get to I'll answer. Pregnancy. Someone said, could pregnant also be a metaphor or symbolism for a strong emotion of wanting to experience freedom and how it, how it is just like giving life, it's just like giving life no matter how many don't want it to happen. Okay, this is a very good question because throughout the narrative, we see we are pregnant with freedom and they can't stop life just like they can't stop freedom, right? Um, so this linkage between 
freedom and pregnancy. Remember when we talked last class, I talked on the last podcast about this idea of black women, black mothers in particular, as enemies of the state because they're going to reproduce black children, right? They're going to reproduce black children who are gonna challenge the state, who are gonna do this kind of radical black resistance who are going to say hold on america you know you said right that you that you were going to be land of the free home of the brave lady justice is blind that's not what is happening think of black lives matter right think of all these freedom fighters dream defenders all these young groups that are coming about who are challenging america and saying you're not living up to your ideals so being pregnant with freedom is a kind of resistance it's i mean think about i mean really pay attention to the imagery we are pregnant with freedom this idea right that pregnancy is going to lead to more and more generations of black people resisting america but also advocating for their freedom by any means necessary right that that's what she's saying there she's saying we're giving birth to freedom. We're giving birth to freedom fighters. We're giving birth to our resistance. We are not sitting back and allowing our, um, we are not sitting back and allowing America to deny us that. That's something that you can't deny us. So I think, yes, is wanting to experience freedom. It's also this idea. It can also be this idea that you can't, you can't stop it, right? We think about Asada Shakur when the doctor is like, you know, just go lay down. If you, if you sit on the toilet and baby slides out, you know, you had an abortion, right? He wants her baby to die, literally. And he tells her like, it'd be best if you just, if you just supported this baby. This is not uncommon with black women, right? Black mothers in particular, women of color, oh, mothers of color, right um this have been sterilized right um so yes it could also be a metaphor for this idea that you can't stop it right that we're gonna reproduce we're gonna but we're gonna also give birth to freedom we're not just giving birth to babies but we're gonna give birth to uh freedom right so i think let me see i think i got to most of what i could get to um i would like to stop it here i think um because i think i got to most of what i could but if i didn't get to your question i'll go through it on blackboard and answer some of the questions on blackboard but hopefully you learned a lot and hopefully you're still reading and you're finding some kind of some kind of solace in the reading um and i think you know i think for this semester we started off doing mindless uh mindful breathing techniques i'm hoping that you're still doing those things i'm hoping that you're you're just you're just calm calming down and you and hopefully this class does not add to the stress now in it's kind of somewhat reduced uh format which i did deliberately because i i know that we have so many different home life you know situations so i think this is a good place to stop and um we'll move on to the next text which will be if bill street could talk and we'll meet again then Bye.